Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you saw. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Nomadland. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 246 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.03 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on June 6th. 2021 shout out to my sister happy birthday today ashley here today to join us for this episode i have josh parham hello hello and also as a guest here for the first time on the show here to talk about a very 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 hotly anticipated can film festival lineup this week we have from firstshowing.net alex billington Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> ah, thank you for making the time to be here, time differences and all. Really, really appreciate it. Of course. So this has been a very, very exciting week, I know, for a lot of us because the Cannes International Film Festival is still, for all intents and purposes, the biggest film festival in the world. It attracts the most amount of press every single year. And it's not just, of course, uh, mainstream cinema. It's really international in terms of the types of talent that it brings in. So it's really so all-encompassing and after it being canceled last year there was a lot of anticipation around what the lineup this year would look like well we finally got uh, our answers for that we're definitely going to talk about that we're also going to go over the polls we'll answer some fan questions we'll discuss the trailer for the new Hugh Jackman film reminiscence which I'm really much looking forward to talking about later but first and foremost Alex we'll start off with you have you been watching anything over the past week at home or in a theater that you want to share with the audience? Um, not that I want to share. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, of course I've been watching, but I've been in a weird, um, a weird slump recently. So I've been watching random stuff, and I and I ha- I have to admit I watched Under the Tuscan Sun, which is this like famous romance in Italy movie, and you know what? I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> I got to be honest with you. Like it's so delightful, and I I wasn't expecting to love it, and I also thought it was gonna be like super cheesy, and just really dull, um, in a in a kind of like obvious way. But it was so. Just like really wholesome and really welcoming and actually re- surprisingly progressive for a 2003 film. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I I, I feel like ashamed to mention it, but uh, it's my honest thought. <laughs> hey, no, I totally hear you on that one. I know that that was a very, very uh, popular film when it came out back in 2003 as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just had never seen it. I was like, oh, I know what I'm getting into, but I didn't know what I was getting into. I've been doing a lot of... Uh, 
2013 rewatches lately because we're doing a retrospective on that year right now. So I've been going back and watching films a lot from that year in my spare time. Oh, nice. But uh, yeah, anything else or? Well, the only other one I watched recently was The Illusionist, the animated like sort of Jacques Tati homage um, from 2010. And it, it was just because I had seen all the Jacques Tati films last year. And I was like, I needed to just see this because I hadn't seen it since it had been released. And it kind of, it, it's it's the best send off to him that anyone could have made. And I really, really enjoyed it for for my second time around. All right. All right. Cool. Really glad to hear. Josh Parham, what about yourself? So this was a week of definitely catching up with actually a lot of uh, new releases, actually. Um, I did see The New Conjuring, which there is a podcast review that we did where you can hear my fuller thoughts. I uh, wasn't a big fan of it. I kind of feel like this series is a uh, progression of diminishing returns, and this is, I think, the weakest of the Conjuring movies. Wasn't really that much of a fan of it, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I was on that podcast review, and it's definitely my least favorite of the three main movies so far. Uh, But at the same time, there's still some stuff in there that was, you know, worth a watch at the very, very least. And, you know, for the most part, it seems like it's gotten mixed positive reviews from a general consensus standpoint. So it's not, I don't think, a total disaster by any means, just lesser of the three. Yeah, I would definitely say that. Uh, I also saw this documentary called Super Frenchie. And essentially, it's it's sort of like a free solo type documentary where this one follows this space jumper who really isn't like working towards anything specific. He's just sort of upping his game as he goes on through his career of just trying to jump off of these higher and higher uh, cliffs. And there are sequences in it that are really impressive just in terms of terms of the footage they were able to get of him making these jumps. But I still found the movie to be pretty like empty. It never really explores his real motivation with anything. And it kind of just comes off as like a glorified commercial, really. And that was sort of disappointing because the footage itself is impressive. But the portrait that they kind of want to create of this guy and like what drives him, I found to be like very shallow and surface level and really wasn't all that interesting. It should have been like an hour long Nat Geo documentary that plays on like a Sunday afternoon. It really didn't need to be a movie. I wasn't a big fan of it. Bummer. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, glad you actually saw this because I, I, I didn't know anyone was even watching it. <laughs> and I'm, and I actually, I agree with you because I, I, um, I've always seen these kind of adventure sports films and I felt the same as you. It's like, it, it it should have something more to say, and it didn't, but I still enjoy his craziness. Yeah, I, I just, the I just wanted great. to say because it's so cool, because it, I'm glad you mentioned this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the footage is great. I just wish that the like attempt to make him an actual character would have been a little bit more thought out, and I didn't think it yeah, was. I agree, I agree. Yeah. Uh, another movie I saw that just came out is a movie called Flashback, and it's this like science fiction-y thriller type movie with Dylan O'Brien that sort of plays with perceptions of time and events that like go backwards and forwards. And like it it has a lot of very interesting concepts in it. I think it's one of these movies that has a lot of great ideas that don't quite come together in the right way. There's sort of like loose ends and it doesn't really tie up and things that don't make a whole lot of sense. And it's enough of those elements to like kind of make the story not come together completely. But while I was watching it, I was involved in it. Like, so it's 
got a lot of interesting things in it. I would sort of recommend it with some reservations, but it's a very interesting movie for sure. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to uh, catching that one actually later today. I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah, and then the last thing I want to mention is I also did a rewatch of something, and uh, Matt, you actually did kind of inspire me to look at some other 2013 movies that weren't going to be part of our official retrospective. Mm-hmm. And I rewatched for the first time, I think since 2013, The Place Beyond the Pines. That is on my list and it is upcoming. It was like my, I think my 11th favorite film that year. And I'm very curious <laughs> to see how it holds up for me. Yeah, I I still really liked it. I could tell, though, that this is like a big, expansive story that I I don't even know if two hours and 20 minutes was enough to tell it. It You kind of get the sense that they had an idea for like a really big, epic story they wanted to tell and it feels kind of condensed in certain aspects but i still really enjoyed that movie like sean bobbitt was a dp and like that is an exquisitely gorgeous looking movie i have to say yeah and ryan gosling it might be my favorite ryan gosling performance to be honest with you i i really like him in that movie yeah no i think ryan gosling's definitely been better but i seem like once again i seem to remember having good feelings towards everyone in that film oh yeah especially the younger cast too yeah Yeah, Yeah, they and emory cohen yeah and uh They've they've both had very spotty track records for me uh, since then, but I remember being very impressed by them in that movie. Well, what's funny for me is that when I first saw it, I remember actually not really liking Emery Cohen that much. Like the whole speech affectation he was doing in that movie kind of drove me crazy a bit. But this most recent rewatch, I actually like was much more into his performance. And I think that he's actually like giving one of the better performances in the movie now. I think he's really good at it. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. Uh, for me, in terms of 2013 rewatches, I rewatched All is Lost, which I kid you not, I had it in my head that that movie ended differently for some reason. <laughs> and so when I rewatched it again, I was like, oh, yeah, no, he doesn't, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't make it. <laughs> and so I'm like rewatching it and the ending happens and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I guess he does make it at the end. I was like, I, I just like, it's totally slipped my mind. So it felt like I was like rewatching it, uh, as new all over again. It was, it was pretty bizarre. Um, but that was a really uh, surprising film that took me, uh, definitely on an emotional journey that I was not quite expecting. Uh, I rewatched rush Ron Howard's, uh, formula one racing film and, how the hell did that movie not get a single Oscar nomination is so beyond me. I'm not even talking Daniel Bruhl. I'm talking even just a craft, like a sound editing nomination, something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And then I rewatched uh, This is the End because I wanted to uh, also throw in a couple of comedies. I'm also planning to watch um, the Edgar Wright. Um, the, what was it called? The World's End? The World's End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm planning on rewatching that at some point as well. But This is the End... Uh, was Jesus, <laughs> I it, it's exactly what you would expect from those guys, but at the same time, I don't think people really understood how daring that film kind of was at the time to have all these characters uh play themselves, you know. And so, as a result of that, I mean, I think it's definitely super meta, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's definitely not the most inspired screenplay in the world, but there are some gags and some jokes in it that uh, I have to admit, I laughed pretty hysterically at and of course the ending with the backstreet boys is just it's just it's too good it's way too good 
Uh, and then as mentioned before, as far as new movies, I watched The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And by the time I was done watching it, I did feel like the devil had made me watch that film because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, you can hear more of my thoughts about that film on our podcast review. So next up, we're going to talk about the Cannes Film Festival lineup for 2021. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, Alex, you've been to Cannes how many times now at this point? This will be my 11th year. Mm. Wow. You know, I was really, really hoping to go this year myself. Um, We... You know, I, I mean, like, not me personally, I guess Next Best Picture. We, we've we never had someone officially go to Cannes before. Uh, this was the first year that we actually applied, but they told us that, oh, you know, we're prioritizing people who applied last year and couldn't go. So I was like, okay, I'll accept that for this time around. Let's see what happens next year. But it's a film festival that every single year I'm growing increasingly more and more interested in physically going myself. I know Josh also would like to go at some point. Tell us like a little bit about what the atmosphere is like at this festival and what makes it different from other film festivals. I mean, I I would say that everything you've heard is true. (laughs) Uh, In one of the interviews in the last few weeks, Terry Fermo, who's the like artistic director of the festival, um, said like some funny phrase where he called it like the Woodstock of cinema every year. Uh, and he's kind of like right about it. Like as, as cheesy as that line is and as cheesy as the quote is, he, he's right. It's like this. I, I mean, first things first, it's in the south of France on the beach in the middle of summer. So it's warm and, you know, it's which is the polar opposite of Sundance, you know, for example. And then um, it's also kind of takes place all in one place. There's a building called the Palais and everything happens here. There's the screenings are there. The red carpet is there. Um, the press office is there. And since it all kind of happens at this one place, that that kind of feels like that's where the show is, which is kind of why that Woodstock sort of fits. It's like everything is there at that building. And there are other venues and other screening rooms and things you can go to. Um, And it really is also uh, the other thing that's true about it is that, as you said at the beginning, Matt, it was um, one of the biggest festivals in the world. So it has more than any other festival I've ever been to. it, It truly has the most diverse and like, a grand mix of attendees I've ever encountered. I think there's like 3,000 press, or in a normal year, there's 3,000 press. Wow. And they're like 3,000 press from all over the world. And like, you know, I'm standing in line next to, you know, some guy who writes for a Chinese newspaper and, you know, to the right are my Italian friends and, you know, behind me are some other, it's just like, and it's, it's th- that's what they mean by it's like the party is you're just there and you like feel the vibe of like everyone's excited about cinema, everyone's excited about what's playing, everyone's excited about like arguing and discussing cinema. And then I think the other thing that's really true about it is that it has this vibe of like this is where history has happened, kind of like Sundance to me, where it's like Sundance is in Park City, you feel like, oh, these films, these iconic moments and these kind of like pieces of history happened here. It's the same thing for Cannes. You're like, man, all the epic stuff that premiered here over the years, you just like feel that in the air. Um, and that's part of why I love going back. Like, even if I don't have the best time with the films, I'm just like, you know what? I'm happy to be there and watch and happy to be 
just in the midst of it. Now, is it true what they say about like waiting on lines to get into stuff? And despite the fact that they have these huge, huge screening rooms, like it's just a nightmare trying to just even get a seat for something. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm, to be honest, the, my my experience, and this was years ago, is I was going to the Antichrist premiere, um, the Lars von Trier film, and I had a like lower badge that year, and I was like one of the last people to get into this premiere screening, and I sat on like the far left side with like half the screen covered by a curtain, but it was just like I'll take my place because I had to wait, you know, two hours to get into the screening just to see it. Um, and then there's always like one or two films every year. Like uh, the other one that recently that was epic was Climax, the Gaspar Noe. Oh, film. I'm sure. Yeah. And that one was like it was impossible to get a ticket. People queued for the entire half of a day and didn't get in. It was like the buzz of the festival that year. Um, and that I mean, that's part of the experience to me. It's like I know we've all and this is a, a discussion for another day. But I know over the last year we've done all these festivals at home and it's a, it's a good experience. I'm glad we get to see films. But even though it sucks waiting in line, there's something about the like physical act of going to a festival, queuing, you know, chatting with people in line, going through the process of like waking up and getting in the queue that makes you feel more like a part of the community and part of what's happening at the festival. Now, do you have, um, you know, I, I'm curious to know because there's so much time like being spent in lines and uh just I'm curious to know how many films can one typically see then um, at the Cannes Film Festival? Because, you know, it's like and I, I think you and I, we talk about this sometimes when we're at Sundance together. And I feel like if I'm not doing more than 40 films at Sundance, I feel like I'm messing up. <laughs> You're crazy though, Mac. Come on. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I my my goal at Sundance is thirty, which is still. I mean, it, it, as I said, it's it's much harder to do when you're there and when you're queuing and when you're getting tickets, um, than at home when we're watching at home. But uh, yeah, can is this similar to Sundance in that you can get maybe five films a day. They do. I mean, the first one, Cannes is also notorious in that um, the very first press screening is at eight thirty a.m. in the morning. Sometimes eight fifteen a.m. Wow. Um, which is like. Most festivals do a 9 a.m., but Cannes is like, no, we're going to whip you in the gear and get you up early. <laughs> squeeze out a little bit more cinema. <laughs> yeah, no, I was exactly that reason. It's like, okay, you go to that, and then you go to one right after that, and then you go to one at like in the afternoon, and then you go to two more at night, and you've got five films in a day. Sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I, like, I do hear these stories about people waiting and waiting and waiting to get into stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, they're missing out on seeing other films while they're waiting to get in to see something else yeah you know so that always kind of bums me out a little bit i will say the one thing that i love i mean this is not can related but the one thing i love about sundance that's different than can is that sundance programs like they'll have a premiere and then you can have five other chances to see this film right in the, the week can has this i don't want to say it's a problem but it has their scheduling system is we premiere a film on this day it shows one more time the next day and then that's it jesus and yeah and it kind of sucks because like you kind of have to decide like oh i'm going to see this or not you have one more day to kind of decide whether you can catch it or not. And then, the, you know, they rescreen the competition on the very final Saturday of the festival. But if you miss it, you're kind of like out of luck. And that's kind of the way it goes, you know. And it's it's like, I think I missed um, uh, the, uh, what's the three-hour German one? <laughs> the you got to be one. way more specific than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um uh the hold on i'm gonna find out right now uh i missed this one because i i i think i was like i'm gonna sleep in today i need a break 
And then it was just one of these things that it took me seven more months to finally catch up with it because I, I missed it at the festival and I had no other way to see it if it wasn't for those two days. And then you're just kind of like, well. Well, with that said, is there anything that um, that uh, otherwise other than that film, which, you know, maybe it'll pop in your head later. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you were bummed that you miss? And then on the flip side of that, are there premieres that felt very special that you happened to be there when they happened? Yeah, well, um, this was Tony Erdman. Sorry, that's the one. Oh, yes. Okay. And I was like, I was like, how did I miss this? But it's like, shoot, once you miss it, you miss it. Yeah. Um, the one, the one that I felt like when I first started going to Cannes, I kind of had that moment in my mind where I was like, hey, am I going to be sitting here at, at kind of like an iconic premiere that will, you know, this is the moment that will change cinema, kind of thing. And it didn't happen for a few years, not because there weren't great films, but just because I never felt it. The first time I ever felt it was watching Drive. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Matt, you know, of course, how great Drive is. And it was like one of these things where it was it was in the very final Thursday of the festival. So it was like every other film had screened. This was one of the last ones premiere. And it just like started. And in 15 minutes, I'm like, this is a classic. Like, I just knew it. Yep. And I was like, I can't wait to get out and tell everyone about it. Yeah, that, that was my uh, favorite film of 2011. I uh, absolutely adore that movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that was like to be there in that moment and be like, oh, my God. And same with something like Antichrist, where you're like, it's not exactly a classic classic in the drive sense, but it is the kind of film that people would like know about and refer to for, for various reasons. A lot of buzz. Yeah. Yeah, to be in that moment where you're like the shock of what you're watching and like the it, it's also my favorite thing about festivals, too, is when you get out of it and you're like, I have to tell the world about how fucking crazy this is. Yep. Or how like like what I just saw, whether it is, you know, um, a parasite where you're just like, you know, you just have to be like, get, you guys get ready for Parasite. Oh, my God. Yeah. The first time I saw Parasite, I wanted to run to my rooftop and just scream out into the world how much I love cinema. <laughs> it was that kind of a movie. Exactly. Uh, for sure. Well, a lot of new memories are going to be made at this year's festival for sure. It's going to definitely be very unique, too, because of all the COVID-19 restrictions that are put in place. But as far as what they have playing here, I don't want to go down the list and say every single one, one at a time here. But what were the initial thoughts that you had on the lineup? I'll start off first with uh, with Josh here. Um, I mean, I thought that there were a lot of like really interesting movies here and you know, it's funny because obviously we didn't have a can last year, so anything that they presented, I would have been chopping at the bit at just to dissect. And yeah, I think that this is a pretty decent selection. Obviously, it's not perfect in terms of its representation, you know, there, which seems to be an ongoing dialogue with can specifically. But like, there's a lot of interesting movies here that I am interested to see and some titles that are also like possibly new discoveries that I'm looking forward to checking out as well. Yeah, I did see a lot of people uh, mentioning how uh, every year can has to do better. And I think that they are <laughs> not necessarily doing better, but it's like they are moving in centimeters when they should be moving in miles. <laughs> They, they are progressing really well in a can way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it, it, like they tout like this year. Oh, we, we have the most films directed by women in our in our festival's history, and it's like, but bro, anyone and that's anyone only cares about what's in competition, man. And you only got four in there, and it's like, uh, you know, the French. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, outside of that. There were a couple that definitely jumped out at me. Alex, what jumped out at you? Yeah, I would say the Jacques Adiard film, Paris 13 District. Oh, yeah. Because I love him. Um, 
I mean, they released the trailer recently for the Mia Hansen love film, Bergman Island. I'm very curious about the French Dispatch. Of course, we already knew was going to be there. Um, I mean, there's this uh, Norwegian director who has a film called The Innocence, mm-hmm. um, which I'm really very curious about. It's To me, it's more like, and I, and I think a lot of people um, who go to Cannes do this as well, is it's more about the filmmaker and you're like, I don't know what this film is. I'm just excited that this filmmaker is bringing a film. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Francois Ozon has a new film yeah, there. Exactly, and exactly. he's got like a legion of fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Kogonada film, After Yang, I'm also oh. really looking forward to. Oh, my God. We, we, I feel like we've all been dying to see his follow-up to Columbus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't wait to see what that looks like. I'm so, so excited for that one for sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's there's... There's also just like the typical stuff like Benedetta that again we knew about, but it's like eh, it'll and and that too the 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 opening film that we already have a trailer for. Like I'm excited, but I'm not <laughs> totally. They're not my like most anticipated, you know. Sure. Um, they could. I think they could go either way in terms of yeah. being good or just being bad shit crazy to the point that they're yeah, exactly. not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, I'm I'm definitely. Uh, skeptical on both of them. French Dispatch, I think, is going to be great no matter what. And that's definitely, I think, this year's um, biggest title where, you know, last time we were at the festival, we had stuff like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood play. Parasite kind of obviously came out of nowhere, um, even though Bong Joon-ho was a big name attached to it. And I'm curious this year if there is a big name director here in the lineup that is going to have something like a Parasite where we're kind of underestimating it on paper, but it could be the yeah. breakout of the festival. And the one I've got my eye on the most is Ashgar Farhardi's A Hero. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, this is a good point. Actually, that's what I was going to say about the lineup to me is that every year I have this kind of sense of like, I don't really know what I'm getting into. And the stuff that I have no idea about is usually the stuff that wins me over and usually the stuff that like really impresses me. Who would have thought, you know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, like, you know. Right. Before the festival, no one would have predicted that. Nope. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what kind of has blown us away. And, that, and actually part of what happens is that we focus on these directors that we know without, as you've said, Matt, like without realizing that maybe there's something we're, we're just not thinking about that's just going to melt our brains and we're going to find out in a few weeks. Yeah, totally. Uh, another one that also jumped out to me as well is the new film from Julia uh, Dacunar. I I don't know if I'm saying that right, and I apologize, but it's uh, Titan. Titan. I don't I don't know how to pronounce it just yet, but that's been that's been picked up by Neon though. So that definitely has me very curious, especially because I was such a huge fan of Raw. Yeah. Another one that also, uh, I mean, how could this not jump out at anyone that's paying attention to the lineup here? Sean Baker is returning uh, with Red Rocket, his follow-up to the Florida Project. Yeah, exactly. The other one I also think that every cinema nerd thinks about is, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I'll go to his nickname, Ty Joe. He has a new film, Memoria, with oh. Tilda Swinton. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he already he already won the Palme d'Or. So, like, he's going here with the kind of sense of, like, hey, I'm just going to present my, my next new film. And again, this one is already picked up by Neon. Like, and it's one of those that I'm like, I, I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I'm also kind of like, you know what? I'm gonna go see this, and and whatever we're in for, we're in for. Uh, Andrea Arnold has Cal playing in uh, the premiere section, so maybe this will be the uh, spiritual double feature with uh, first Cal. You never know. <laughs> or with Gunda. 
Yeah. <laughs> did you know? Did you read what it's about? That's what pulls me away. I love Andrea Arnold, and I'm like, wait, she made a movie about the lives of cows. <laughs> Like, hey, you know it's... what? She's a filmmaker that I'll see anything that she does. So I'm I'm game. Like let's 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 do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Also, too, one year after um, Pieces of a Woman, Cornell Mondruska with Evolution is also going to be at the festival as well. Yeah. So curious to see uh, how he expands upon uh, some of the notoriety that he received with that film, and if he can continue that level of momentum. Um, and then there is out of competition usually you get like a big uh mainstream you know you typically a u.s film that plays out of competition i'm thinking of stuff like i remember great gatsby played a can i remember rocket man played a can mm. uh this year we've got tom mccarthy's uh still water starring matt damon playing in this uh section here and i don't know if that gives me confidence considering that it <laughs> will be releasing in the u.s just a few days uh later uh, Josh, what did you make of this announcement that Stillwater would be premiering at Cannes? Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to read, especially because it is coming out so quickly after that. Um, I don't know. I'm still like just kind of skeptical on this movie in general. It just doesn't seem like a like quote unquote serious movie. Like I think it'll be fine, but I'm just not getting like major impact vibes from it and it playing it can out of competition really doesn't change that for me Mm -hmm. yeah i hear you on that one i think i think half the reason they chose it is because it takes place in france and like yeah can is a little bit does that like oh it's a friend it's in france we're gonna i mean that's part of the reason why uh searchlight was so bullish about no french dispatch needs to premiere at can yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) exactly a lot of people took notice that Sean Penn has a movie there called uh, Flag Day, which... Which is I don't know. He decided it, to come back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in, I was there at that screening where everyone was just laughing our asses off at his film, and I don't know why he came back, to be honest with you. I, I don't know. I was, I was getting used to the world not having Sean Penn in it, but... <laughs> <laughs> Eh, we'll see we'll see listen into the wild still has a special place in a lot of people's hearts and you know that kind of clout then can carry on for a long time for people clamoring for you to make a film just as good as that again so i don't know um and then the number one that jumped out at me uh justin kurzel is uh back with nitrom which i just i just read apparently it's about the the shooting in australia that caused them to ban guns and i'm like what yeah is he what what exactly how is he going to dramatize this and what is it going to be focusing on like that's just thinking about that as the the, the plot is already kind of chilling well i'm really excited about that mostly because of the fact that i feel like uh hollywood tried to uh you know turn him into something that didn't quite work out with assassin's creed true history of the kelly gang was kind of like a more of a return to form what we saw with Macbeth, and now this just sounds like something completely different to the point that it has me very, very curious to see if that could be one of the breakouts of the festival. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Josh, any, anything else jumped out of you? Uh, well, you know, obviously there's all of the like really big titles from filmmakers we know about. Like, obviously, I'm interested in all of those. But I do always try to look through a lineup like this and see if there's something that is just, you know, wasn't never on my radar to begin with. And like the little bit of information I can glean from it, like it doesn't sound somewhat interesting to me. And there's a couple things like that. There's this Russian movie Petrov's flu that seems kind of interesting. Uh, it seems like, like a lot of Russian movies, it's like kind of <laughs> takes place in the past, but 
sort of is also about today. <laughs> like everything's <laughs> a commentary on everything with a Russian movie, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, but it looked, you know, from the little bit of information I saw, it looked kind of intriguing to me. And there's another movie called Blue Bayou that's playing mm-hmm. there that seems like it's a another like immigrant story in America. And again, I don't know a whole lot about it, but just a little bit that I have seen looked kind of interesting to me. And I think Alicia Vikander's in that oh, one. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did hear about that. Yes, I completely forgot about that. You're right. The other one too that uh, I also was thinking of, and also just mostly because um, I, I, I saw uh, his last film, um, The Woman Who Ran last year, uh, Hong Sang uh, Su with uh, In Front of Your Face. Uh, that's going to be in the premiere section as well. Um, so that was another one that also jumped out at me. And I, I'll admit, I haven't had a chance yet to read the synopsis on all of these films just yet. What I, what I mostly do a lot of times, I usually will copy um, and, and paste the director's uh, names, and then I'll see what else they've done previously. And if it's something that I'm like, okay, I may not recognize the director's name, but I recognize the title of that film, and that was a film that I missed. And it's like, maybe now this is a good opportunity for me to check out something, you know, in the past that I haven't seen before. Um, you know, case in point, like this year, um, Dan Baer, like, really got me into um, Ozon. And so I've been watching um, a few of, um, you know, the, the uh, a few of the older films in their filmography. And, you know, there's just a couple of examples of that uh, all throughout here. I think, like, in many ways, as Alex was saying before comparing this to Sundance, Sundance is a discovery for independent cinema in general. Whereas I do feel like with Cannes, if you're not already well-versed in international cinema, it can serve as a discovery for international uh, filmmakers. And I think that that's also yeah. just as exciting. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, th- it reminds me, the other two I want to mention is um, Ahed's knee from uh, this Israeli director, Nad- Nadav Lapid, I think is his name. Oh, I did not, I did not like synonyms. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of that one, but I, I, I instantly did recognize his name here, yeah. I, I He's another one where I would say I'm just curious to see what it is and see what he's brought and, you know, yeah. hope that it's good. Um, and another one, uh, this um, uh, this uh, Danish director, Joachim Trier, with, he has a new film too um, called The Worst Person in the World, which is a provocative title. Um and he's another one that's like, I, I like his films. Sometimes I hate them. Sometimes I love them. And I'm just like, I don't know what this is, but your title and the fact that you have this at the festival and competition makes me more than curious to f- see it and sit down and hope that there's something worthwhile here. Uh, Josh, anything else? Um, well, I do know that the, um, the Val Kilmer documentary is going to be there. I am very intrigued about that. Um, I don't know how good it'll be, but I'm just very interested in what kind of footage they show. And speaking of, I don't know how good it'll be. Like, I am not putting a whole lot of faith in anything with Oliver Stone, but he <laughs> does have something related to JFK. And to me, JFK is his best movie. So I am interested in what that is going to be, but not completely optimistic given his output of quality lately. But Oliver Stone returning to the subject of JFK does pique my interest, I have to be honest. I am in the same boat as you, Josh. JFK is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I am really, really curious to see what's going on there. I'm also similarly curious about uh, Todd Haynes' um, film The Velvet Underground here as well, yeah. a documentary uh, film. Yeah. yeah. What, you know, Once again, we're, we're focusing a lot on these uh, big-name directors, uh, but at the same time, how can you not, especially when we've been deprived of these kinds of 
uh, films and the, the, just the film festivals like this in general. Because no offense to all the virtual festivals that we got over the last year, but they definitely were lacking. I think in terms of star power, big names compared to, you know, the past, obviously. So this does in many ways feel like a return to form. Oh, and one last thing. Uh, the Year of the Everlasting Storm. Forgot about this. Uh, now it's the one with the uh, collection of uh, different filmmakers working on it, mm. uh, including uh, Laura uh, Poitras and uh, David Lowry and a couple of others. Um, so that, that that had a trailer that came out this week as well from Neon. So that was also very exciting to uh, check out. Neon's definitely got a big presence this year at the festival. You know, you know who doesn't? Netflix. <laughs> mm. Still, this whole thing angers me. Just. I was having a debate with somebody about this the other day and, you know, we were talking about like who should change. Should can change to accommodate Netflix or should Netflix change if they want to play can? And personally, I think can is such a big institution and it's such a large festival and has such a history that I'm of the belief that if Netflix really, really wants to have their films play in competition, they should cough it up and have their films play theatrically in France. I hate to say it, but I agree. <laughs> because because the, the, that's the thing is like, I don't know why they can't get a deal for like a Jane Campion film in France. How can you not get the theatrical deal set for that before the festival, do what you need to do to get it in, you know, ready to play and then play at the festival? Why can't they figure that out? I mean, they're willing to do the qualifying runs for the Oscars uh, here yeah. in the States. And it's like, I guess they just don't view the Palm d'Or on that same level. And it is what it is in that regard, if that's how they feel about it. But mm. it's very, very clear, I think, at this point that Cannes is like, no, we're willing to let Netflix come to the party. They just have to play by our rules. Well, isn't it like there's a rule in terms of the window between theatrical and streaming? Like, like because obviously Netflix is willing to put their movies in theaters and will even do it for a little time before it hits the streaming service. But like, I don't know it in like in depth, so forgive me. But I'm I thought that there's like the window of time between when it's in theaters and when it can go on streaming is like ridiculously long, and that's what Netflix is really complaining about. Yeah, especially because it's based in it's like France's rule specifically. Um, yeah, which which they will because of the history of cinema in France, they will probably never change it. But yeah, that yeah, but is it's like that months is and case. months before, right? That it, before yeah. it can go onto a streaming service, which obviously Netflix isn't going to do that. They'll give you a week at most. Well, but I don't understand why they can't just bite the bullet for something like a Jane Campion film. Like I understand if it's a tiny indie from Sundance that not a lot of people are going to see that it wouldn't you know make sense for them to do. But something that they know has the power to play in theaters, like, again, like what we're saying here, like, why don't they just get over them? I would say that to both of them, but Netflix specifically, like, just get over yourselves, play the game for a few years. And I guarantee you that will cause them to kind of change over time. Yeah. But on the other hand, though, you could make the argument that, you know, Netflix, they got other festivals they can take that movie to, you know, True. they Venice have other opportunities Netflix. to show it, you know, yeah. at, at the end of the day what people might take away from it is not necessarily like that Netflix isn't playing ball with can and giving this movie the showcase. It's more so can missing out on showing these movies that like Venice and Telluride and Tiff will get to see. True. Oh yeah. True. But once again, because of the uh, star power quality of this lineup, I don't think that this year needed a Netflix title. And I think that people who are looking at this lineup and saying like, Oh, 
you know, it doesn't have blonde, so, you know, it's not as good as it could have been. It's like, no, nah, dude, I'm telling you, when the reactions start pouring out from people like Alex at the festival, we'll realize that this fest that th- this lineup was probably very, very well off. And it's probably going to come from, as we mentioned before, a film that is under the radar right now and maybe not something that we've even mentioned on this podcast today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Matt, I want to mention before we wrap up this segment, I yeah. want to mention that there's there's two, there's two, uh, not two, um, there's a couple things left, which is uh, the there's the sidebars, the director's Fortnite and the Critics Week, which I don't think they've been announced yet. Mm-hmm. And there's always potential for films to come in those two as well. Like um, the Lighthouse was in director's Fortnite last on, in 2019. Yep. Uh, and then um, I'm also just intrigued because I just want to know. But Terry Fromeau has keep saying there's this like he he I don't know if you read the quote. He referred to it as like a planetary Hollywood blockbuster. Yep. Um, and it's he as of this announcement last week, he said uh, that it hasn't been revealed yet which one this is. And I'm still curious what this is because he's like, it's not Dune. I, I had this feeling it could be Top Gun, but that would be weird. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, what the heck? What is this other Hollywood film and why is it not announced? I mean, um, One Night in Hollywood was uh, not One Night. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I, was also a delayed announcement, too. I think it was it wasn't in the initial lineup, but then they were saying like they want to confirm it from Tarantino. And then like a few weeks before the festival, they said they will be able to fit it in. So I don't I'm not saying it'll be like a Tarantino level movie, but I'm, I'm just like, what is this other film that we're waiting to find out that he's going to show at the festival? I don't know. I, I have to admit that has been like kind of the fun bingo place your bets, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. kind of game that we've all been playing with each other. Um, my favorite suggestion that I've heard so far has been because of its July 16th release date. And that uh, is coinciding with the end of can uh, Space Jam and New Legacy. <laughs> I was thinking that, too. I was like, that oh. would be so <laughs> hilarious to me. <laughs> I know, I know. But I also wouldn't put it past can to do something like that. They program the Madagascar movies. They'll play this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they just because they do these art house international serious films, that does not mean that they don't sometimes, you know, program these big planetary movies, whatever that means. Exactly. So, festival is running from July 6th to the 17th. Uh, the official um, uh, competition jury president is Spike Lee. And it was also announced earlier this week that Jodie Foster will receive an honorary Palme d'Or award for her contributions to cinema as well. So, get excited. Uh, even though that... We don't have someone from the MVP team attending this year. We've never had someone attend uh, before in the past, uh, so it's not going to be any different for us. But we'll still be keeping uh, tabs on all of the reactions and all of the reviews coming out of Cannes this year from people like Alex and many, many others. And we could not be more excited for it. And I hope you get to go one year, Matt. I hope so, too. Both of you, I hope you get to go. <laughs> yeah, all of us. You guys will have a plan. We're going we're gonna to charter our own plane. We'll just take the whole team. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, charter your own boat. That's the way to go to Ken. Roll up in your yacht, just hang out. And- Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'll tell you one film that's definitely not going to be a can this year. Uh, it's the film Reminiscence from Warner Brothers. Uh, this is Lisa Joy's directorial debut starring Hugh Jack and Rebecca Ferguson and Tendway Newton. This is going to premiere on HBO Max and in theaters on August 20th. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. You're going on a journey. A journey through memory. All you have to do is follow my voice. We're closed. I know, I'm sorry it's late. We have time for one more job. When the waters began to rise and war broke out, Nostalgia became a way of life. There wasn't a lot to look forward to. So people began looking back. Nothing is more addictive than the past. No, 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 put me back. Put me back. I understand. She's moved on, and you should too. People don't just vanish. To find where she'd gone, I had to know where she'd been. Was she running from the past? Or racing back towards it? How much did you really know her? How much did you know? Who was she? Who was she when not with me? You think you want answers? Well, you don't. Where is she? Where is she? Arson, bribery, murder. People love their secrets. Don't go down this path. Stay here, in this life. Blind eye to plenty. I have to do this. That machine of yours, how close can you get before the illusion's broken? You're going on a journey. All you have to do is follow my voice. All right. So what do you guys think? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not really sure what to make of this. It, it seems like it'll be interesting, but I science fiction is really hard to get right on a really big scale like this. And that does make me a bit nervous, but I am intrigued by the premise. I'm intrigued by the futuristic world where the waters have risen, kind of given this almost like a uh, Blade Runner vibe and in terms of its noirish sensibilities at the same time lisa joy has worked on shows like burn notice and westworld and you can definitely sense that this has maybe a bit of a westworld convoluted sci-fi feeling to it in terms of its story i think that's where it's going to either make or break people i'm not too concerned about the premise the visuals or even jackman who looks like he's channeling you know 
the 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 fountain or um, the prestige, you know, when he gets into that mode yeah. of his acting abilities, uh, which I, I like Jackman when he's in that mode versus something like, say, The Greatest Showman. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I definitely am super intrigued by everything that I'm seeing here. I think that it's going to be at the very least a misguided failure that'll be fun to talk about. No, don't say it. I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm saying at the very least it'll be that. At the very best, yeah. this could be, you know, one of the best films of the year, especially for sci-fi fans. Yeah. I had heard uh, or, or saw like a tweet from a Warner Brothers person a few weeks before the trailer that said something like, oh, this film is really special. And not that that would convince me of anything, but that kind of made me like, it like lit a spark in my mind. And then as I'm more, well, I don't know why the more and more I watch this trailer, I get more and more excited about it. Maybe I'm just like a sci-fi nerd and it kind of plays to me, but I just have this feeling that like, it's going to be really good. I, I think it's a well put together trailer in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it also, it also, it shows the world, but also reminds you of like what's actually at stake here, which is this love story and his kind of figuring out what's going on with this woman, kind of in a minority report way where you're like, you know, future past kind of exploration with like, who is she and what is she doing? And how do I solve this? You know, is she a bad person or not situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, Hugh Jackman looks great in it. I don't, I don't like, I've just really, I, I have a good feeling about it. <laughs> That's my, the more and more I watch it, the more and more I'm like, this is going to be one of my favorites, but I, every time I feel that way, I kind of end up with a letdown. So I'm hoping it's, I'm just hoping it's as good as it, it's promising with its potential. I think visually it looks very impressive. You know, you love to see a female director get handed $70 million for their first feature film and have it look like this. And there's action scenes. There's like a weird scene where they're almost jumping across the room with guns. I'm like, what is going on here? I thought this was a love story. But mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see what it is. We'll see. Yeah, it, it does look interesting. I I think the problem that I'm running into is a, a connection that my mind is just automatically making with something else. And it's that when I think about a movie from a first-time director uh, that's this really big, epic kind of science fiction oh, idea no. that, that's from somebody <laughs> who was a previous collaborator with oh, no. the Nolans – I think of Transcendence. No! (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't hate Transcendence like other people did, but obviously a very flawed movie. So I think, like, my mind just cannot disregard that tenuous connection, and that's what's holding me up right now. So hopefully the movie is better than that. Similar-sounding title, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Ah, man. Well, we'll see. Uh, I really want to, and I always have to, shout this out every time I notice it, but I really appreciate that Warner Brothers is one of the last few major studios that still greenlights mid-budget films for adults. They're not going for $200 million budgets for IP franchises and such. They're doing original new stories that, quite frankly, like in a lot of cases, I think of movies like Judas and the Black Messiah or Motherless Brooklyn, where it's like those movies could be made on the cheap. But no, they um, uh, up those budgets uh, by a couple million more and they look great. You know, they have that studio look to them. And sometimes, you know, you want that out of a uh, film that, you know, you think that on paper would have been more suited for the indie world. And I just really appreciate that Warner Brothers still does that. Yeah, definitely. And I hope they, I hope they keep doing it. <laughs> I, I, I hate that it's as simple as like if no one watches it, they stop making them. But that's as simple as it is. And I just think that there's always like a, an audience for them, even if they pick up on it years later. There's always people who will appreciate 
these kind of films. Well, speaking of there being audiences for movies, uh, The Conjuring films have done really well for Warner Brothers over the years. And for last week's poll, we asked everyone, which is your favorite Vera Farmiga performance? Mm. Now, this is strictly just for film. I saw a lot of people tell me Bates Motel. We didn't include television in this one. So, Josh, passing it over to you, Vera Farmiga, what performance has really stood out to you the most from her? I think my favorite is Up in the Air. I think that she is actually the superior of the supporting actress nominations for that Mm. movie. And I think that she just delivers a really interesting and uh, great performance in that film. Alex, what about you? Yeah, he stole my answer. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I mean, I hate to say that part of the reason I would choose it is because I love Up in the Air. It's not, it's like one of those things where if I sit down and rewatch every single Vera Farmiga movie, I'll be like, oh, maybe this one is actually my favorite performance. But there's just like this warm feeling I have with Up in the Air that I think she brought something really important to her role that made a difference with that film. Uh, I got to echo Up in the Air as well, although <laughs> I'm and sorry to sound like a broken record here, but I, I also really like her in the first Conjuring film, too. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's see what the MVP community had to say here for their results. All right, at number 10, we have The Judge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have still not seen The Judge, and that's probably not changing anytime soon. We'll break you someday. We will get you there. If it didn't happen for our 2014 retrospective, I don't think it will. <laughs> All right, number nine, we have... Nothing but the truth. Okay, that's a good movie. Yeah, I agree. I really like that one too. Number eight is Down to the Bone, which I have never seen. I have not seen either. Seven is Source Code. You know, good in that movie and like not a very big role, but I think she makes the most of it, which is another hint of how great of an actress she is. Agreed. Agreed. Number six. The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. That's another one I actually have not seen yet. That movie has one of the most upsetting endings I have ever seen. (laughs) I have heard that, which is one of the reasons why I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Number five, Orphan. Oh, wow. Orphan is so fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, but it's fun. Number four, The Conjuring 2. (laughs) Number three, The Conjuring. (laughs) Yeah. All right. <laughs> number two is The Departed. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And number one, Up in the Air. Yeah. I mean, definitely not a surprise there, uh, but very, very interesting uh, filmography to say the least for her. And excited to always see what she does next. This week, though, for In the Heights, which is coming out next week on HBO Max and in theaters, we are asking everyone which is your favorite musical of the 21st century. That's a long list of musicals here. (laughs) It's hard to choose. Very, very hard to choose, in my opinion. Josh, what do you think? Well, because we can pick up to three, there are three on the list that I think would probably get my vote. Um, One of them is Chicago, which I think would be my pick for the best. I do really love that movie. I think it's so inventive in how it was shot and conceived and i really really do love chicago uh i also love sweeney todd i know that's a little bit more divisive but 
that was still in the heyday of me really loving Tim Burton. And I think it's the last great Tim Burton movie that he made. And I just, that's another one that I love the design and everything about that film. I still am a really, really big fan. And okay. The last one I'm going to mention, I will fully admit it's not a great movie and there's, (laughs) it's more nostalgia driving it than anything else. I will fully admit, but Phantom of the Opera will always have a soft spot on my oh, heart. Oh, Josh. I, I can't, I can't ever completely <laughs> disregard it. I understand. I get it. I understand. <laughs> and there's a lot, like I said, nostalgia going into it. But if it's on TV or if I'm flipping through streaming and it's there, like, I I can watch it. That movie, I, I, no, I that movie like was it. good. How are you saying it's bad? Man, it's there's a lot movie. of people that don't like it. And I get it. Mostly because of Gerard Butler. Like, I get it. I but. mean, Gerard Butler is definitely a problem for me. The cinematography is definitely a problem for me. <laughs> oh, I like the cinematography in the movie, though. Oh, no, I've got some real issues with that film, for sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Alex, what about you? Um, You know, I'll drop my number one is, of course, La La Land. <laughs> I mean, I have a feeling that it's going to run away with the poll, honestly. Probably. Yeah, I'm a La La Land fanatic. Um, but I also want to mention Sing Street. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same vein, Blinded by the Light a few years ago. I also love those. Two. Blinded by the Light was really well done. I really enjoyed that a lot. That was definitely one of those uh, Sundance discoveries that we mentioned earlier where it was like, I have no idea what to expect. Walked in and it was like, oh, my God, that was a joy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, for me... Uh, I would say number three, Sing Street. Number two, La La Land. Number one is easily Moulin Rouge for me. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Such romantic, man. <laughs> this is the, the soft side of you. We didn't know about it. <laughs> they, they hit me in the feels musicals from time to time. You know. <laughs> well, definitely uh, do your best to whittle this down to three. Log on to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Let us know which is your favorite movie musical of the 21st century. And be sure to check out In the Heights on HBO Max and in theaters if you can safely, because it definitely is a big screen movie event next week. All right. And now... We are going to answer some questions from the fans. Let's see what the MVP film community wrote in for us this week. Hello, Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. So you're listening to a podcast that you love right now. Chances are I love it too. In the independent podcast community, we all support each other, which is why you're currently hearing this promo. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my show in the hopes that maybe you'll check it out. I welcome a different co-host each week, usually other podcasters, friends of mine, or random folks from the entertainment industry. Together, we count down our top five favorite things for whatever that week's topic is. It's often centered around music, movies, TV, and pop culture. We have over 250 episodes spanning nearly five years of programming, so there's bound to be something on our feed that's just for you. We release new episodes of Two Peas every Wednesday. For links to all of our content and to subscribe via your favorite podcast app, just go to our website. It's www.twopeasonapod.com. We can't wait to welcome you to the party. Oh, this is a very pessimistic question. (laughs) Edward Douglas asks, now that Cannes is back, will it be a big player in next year's Oscars like Parasite or will it be just another bunch of movies for film snobs? and cinephiles <laughs> that has absolutely no effect on the movie business as a whole. Wow. He's, he's right and he's wrong. I mean, Parasite <laughs> kind of like messed it all up, but uh, generally year after year, there's not a lot that like impacts Hollywood. 
I mean, it's more of like a. It's like the the thing that I would tell people about Can is that it's it Can represents cinema on a global scale, which is different than cinema in Hollywood in America. And like, I know a lot of people, considering I've made so many friends all over the world, who are way more impacted by what plays in Can than they than they are by like what wins an Oscar. But I know that all of my American friends do not care about Can, <laughs> so I. I, I see his point, but uh, I don't. Th- I don't think this will this will be the year that it breaks into the Oscars again. I don't know because I'll. Yeah. I'll tell you this from an Oscar standpoint. I always look at Cannes for at least the best, the best international feature category. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how can you not? <laughs> but that's usually the primary thing that we look at. Like, I don't think it's really the place to find like serious like best picture contenders usually like every once in a while. But most of the time, I think we are looking at what is a potential submission for international feature. Well, I mean, if the last couple of years are anything to go by too, uh, we should probably look at it for who's going to be the fifth uh, nominee and best yeah, director. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now there's definitely a couple of ways that you can definitely look at this festival. At the end of the day, I choose to look at it just from a standpoint of good cinema. Simple as that. Well said, well said. Take that, Ed. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> The Tribeca Film Festival is starting this week, says Miller's Movies. Any films you specifically are excited for, any you've heard good things about, or think will win any of the awards? Uh, I got to tell you, Tribeca is starting this week, and I got to give a shout out to all the publicity teams out there that have been sending me emails about their titles and stuff, but man, oh man, has this festival been an organized mess so far for press? That's what I've been hearing. I've that, yeah. And I still don't know what I, I I don't know like anything. I don't know the schedule. I don't know how I'm going to be able to log on and watch stuff virtually yet. Like nothing has been, been communicated and the festival starts this week. It is very bizarre. I only got approved for the festival last week. Mm. <laughs> it's just like really, really, really bizarre. So in that regard, no, honestly, I think I'm going to just kind of take every title piece by piece. And to be honest with you, Tribeca is a festival that every year from my own personal uh, standpoint, I kind of look at it as the uh, dumping ground for films that Sundance didn't want. You're, you're so true. You're so true. It's sad, but true. Um, it is. It I, I cover it because I'm here in New York and I have no reason not to, but I will admit to you, there's never been a year where Tribeca happened and I was excited about it. Uh, there was maybe one or two titles that I was like, okay, I want to see that. But everything else, it's like, take it or leave it. Like, it's, you know. The few years I covered it, it was like, that's how I felt after watching films. I was like, yeah, there's a couple of good ones. And everything else was like mediocre to bad. Exactly. The only one actually from this list that I would it, as, give a recommendation if someone's looking for is this film called The Beta Test from Jim Cummings. Yes. And um, he, it's weird. He, he, it was premiering in Berlin, which I watched the online press version of. But he wouldn't let it show online. And I asked him why, and he's like, oh, for security issues, because it's apparently about, like, sexual abuse and power in Hollywood. And he's like, it's, you know, with risky. But now it's actually finally playing at Tribeca and then um, having a Berlin premiere at, like, a, an actual venue in a few weeks. So, uh, like, whatever it is, like, I highly recommend you get a ticket to that just to see what he's 
you know, what he's poking at with his um, filmmaking stick this time. I liked uh, Thunder Road and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. So I'm very curious to see how his career continues to progress. It's been quite a fascinating journey to watch him, uh, just this indie filmmaker who, you know, interacts with a lot of people on social media and has kind of a DIY mentality about everything from the films, marketing to post-production and just kind of seeing, uh, you know, everything just move along. It's been very, very fascinating to watch. Yeah. Uh, Ryan McQuaid 77 asks, besides Lord of the Rings, so this is excluding me because he knows that that's my answer. What are your favorite movie trilogies of all time? Back to the Future, of course. Okay. Yeah, that was the first one that popped into my mind. Just because, like, to answer this question, you need to think about which one didn't have a terrible third movie. And <laughs> I was just thinking that. I like Back to the Future 3. I actually think it's better than the second one. So. That one's looking pretty strong right now. Uh, the before trilogy, easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although I do suspect we will get a fourth at some point. I mean, it's supposed to be next year. <laughs> I really, you know, if it's going to happen. I hope there's some news about that soon because, yeah. yeah, next year will be the the nine-year mark from the last exactly. one. I mean, this is kind of like an unofficial trilogy, I suppose. The Three Colors trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, Christoph Kieslowski. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's more of an unofficial trilogy. You know, it's not really a trilogy in the traditional sense. Right, right, right. Yeah, trilogies are really tough to pull off. Yeah, yeah there's, a lot, uh, there's a lot of good ones that I just like, like the one or two of them, up, <laughs> but never all three. Yeah, highly recommend the Patrick Willems YouTube video where he actually talks about why it's hard to make trilogies. It's a really good video and uh, analysis. Scott Kernan asks, following Chloe Zhao's Oscar win, who is a filmmaker that is up and coming who has the potential to direct a Best Picture winner when given the right project? Doesn't have to be a filmmaker who hasn't been nominated yet. You know, I, I mean, we kind of saw this happen with Barry Jenkins, even though he didn't win director. His film won Best Picture and it was only his second film. Uh, so in that regard, like looking at Chloe Zhao very, very early in her career and reaching that kind of a pinnacle as well. I don't know. Do you guys have anyone off the top of your heads that is very early in their careers, but shows signs that they could have a big Oscar moment like that? Well, he already had an Oscar moment, but Shaka King from Judas, like (laughs) he, I was expecting that to go much further than it did, but honestly, I was happy it had any nominations, but he's the kind of guy I like, I think he will be back more than one time in the next few years. That's a good pick. Yeah, it's so hard to answer this question, though, because you're basically being asked, like, who has the potential from, like, almost nothing that has been seen before? Like, I would never have guessed that Chloe Zhao was going to win Best Picture just based on, like, the writer. Even though I love the writer, never would have predicted that was going to happen. So it's hard to say. I do think... I think maybe the elements might come together for Robert Eggers. I don't know... If it'll be soon, but I could see it maybe happening. Hmm. I would love to see him get in there. The other one I would mention, although it's not, she's not in her early career, is Lynn Ramsey. Like she's she's overdue anyway for many Oscar wins. I mean, listen, you know, we'll we'll never say no to mentioning that Lynn Ramsey deserves more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, if you're gonna bring it up, I'll mention her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to think, you know, because. It's very, very easy to look at last year and say to yourself, okay, who is a director from last year who made a, you know, directorial debut or something like that? Or like, you know, maybe this film deserved more. So it's a little it's a little tough in that regard to say. Um, my, my opposite answer um, 
is that there's so many films I see where I'm like, the first film, I'm like, this guy's going to make masterpieces. And then they kind of don't. Uh, but Mark Webb from 500 Days of Summer. Like, when I saw 500 Days mm. of Summer, I'm like, this guy's going to go places. And look, I really like Mark Webb. I think he's a great filmmaker. But he's not like, he hasn't made an Oscar masterpiece level kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, but at the same time, I was like, when you see that first film, you're like, I love your first film. And I want to see you make these. And then he goes off and does some Spider-Man movies. And you're like, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Like, I had faith in Mark Webb after 500 Days of Summer. But those Spider-Man movies and then The Only Living Boy in New York, like, that was the one that broke me. It's like, I am not defending you anymore. That was a terrible movie. Yeah. He he needs what I would say to a lot of directors, which is like they need to scale back and do something more personal and intimate. And like, I know it's cliche to say, but get back to his roots of what he would. Because because I always feel like they know what they're doing. I just I don't know if they just lose control of it with Hollywood in their in their sights or what. I don't know. You know what? I'll, I have a good shout out here. After his first two films, I really do believe that he has the potential with the right project at the right time to make something truly, truly, truly outstanding. Um, I think Anish Shiganti. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, Because Surging and Run were both just two well-executed thrillers. And it does make me wonder, like I said, if given the right subject material, I, I think that he's a director that really could go big. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would need to find something that can, like, work as both the genre exercise that he's really good at, but also have, like, an engaging, like, drama to it as well that kind of elevates it a bit. Not that his movies aren't great, but they do kind of exist in sort of separate from more serious quote-unquote movies, and there kind of needs to be a bridging of the gap for that to happen. Ryan Rabidou1 asks, Hey, Matt and crew, I believe that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness will be Marvel's most ambitious film ever, as it will tie together events from WandaVision, Loki, and Spider-Man No Way from no, no, no Way Home. Is that what that was called again? I thought it was called... Yeah, I guess it was called No Way Home. Yeah, No Way Home. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of, like, No Way Out. <laughs> um... <laughs> What are your thoughts on this and also your thoughts on the director, Sam Raimi? Raimi rules. I just hope he can make a good movie again. I was going to say, I feel like Raimi has gotten lost in the big budget Hollywood studio machine. And I'm kind of petrified at him taking on this property. But at the same time, I think that he works really well in low budget, idiosyncratic, uh, genre based settings and even though this is obviously going to have a higher budget the subject matter and the material definitely fits uh some more of his earlier work so hopefully it'll be a nice blend but overall i can't say that i'm like i can't say i'm fully on board i'm also just very curious what the incident with scott derrickson leaving was that then led to Raimi. like usually someone like derrickson leaves and then it gets you know some middle director but they end up with Raimi. like what was what was his conflict with him, and how did Raimi pick that up and continue? That's what I'm most curious to see what was going on here. Yeah, uh, I am very apathetic towards Marvel, so I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I of all the Marvel things coming up, it's probably my most anticipated, to be honest. Even more than Eternals, like I just I just love the Doctor Strange universe and whatever they're gonna do with it. I'm like, okay, let's see what they're gonna, especially with Raimi, like. I don't know if it's going to be any good. I'm just like, okay. Yeah, because is Oz the Great and Powerful the last movie he made? Uh, wait, when did he make um, Drag Me to Hell? That was like 2009. Oh, that was before yeah, That was before Oz and the Great and Powerful. So, <laughs> yeah. It's the last been, good movie. Yeah, so it's been nine years since Oz and the Great and Powerful, uh, or eight years, something like that. Yeah, that, um, 
That's not very encouraging. <laughs> no, no. No, he's just been laying low, man. I don't know. He was in director's jail, right? For, I mean, pretty much. For a long time. Yep. But I mean, like, you know, you look at his other stuff, like A Simple Plan, obviously the Evil Dead films, and it's like, you know, even the first two Spider-Man movies. But Spider-Man 3 and then Oz and the Great and Powerful, I think, have really done some serious damage to his uh, career. Drag Me to Hell was a good buffer film in between that like oh, yeah, it's great. was a return to form for him that I really wish he would have just stuck with but then Oz and the Great and Powerful was like what are you doing man you're just trying to be something that you're not yeah so, so weird and that movie has been completely forgotten and it's so strange that a movie that expensive has just been wiped from the cultural knowledge uh, Rob Montoya speaking of things not being wiped from the uh, cultural knowledge uh, what film is on the top of your wish list to receive a Criterion Collection release? Um, well, I think this has been kind of ruled out that it will ever happen. But I, if we're just talking about dream scenarios, it's Assassination of Jesse James. Oh, come on. That's the perfect choice. I really, really hope that they can make that work someday. But yes, it is true that apparently we're not going to see it. And that really hurts. Wh- why? What's the story? I believe that there is a rights issue with it where the studio, uh. where the original studio won't relinquish it. Crazy. I think that's the issue. I think so. I know Dominic and Deacons and everyone else worked on it, and they're like they they want to see it happen. Yeah, but, something with Warner Brothers. And I'm sure Criterion would love to make it happen, but that's like the number one reason why most films don't go to Criterion is because yeah. the original studio wants to continue making profits off of that film. Yeah, although you want to like tell Warner Brothers like, come on, like what are you really making off of Assassination? Oh, what, was it Warner? Was it Warner Brothers? I'm pretty sure it was Warner Brothers. Oh. Yeah, it was Warner Brothers. <laughs> okay, there you go. But it's been it's like been growing in interest and attention in the last few years. I think they're kind of like playing off of that buzz to just hold the rights to it. I mean, my my big one that I still don't understand to this day and ah, it's mostly around the fact that it doesn't have a Blu-ray release in general is uh, Ordinary People. I have no earthly idea why that film is not available on Blu-ray whatsoever. Wait, did did it, it just get a Blu-ray announcement? I thought it did. I can't remember. I might have been dreaming it. I'm not sure. I thought it did finally get at least a Blu-ray release, but I'm not sure. I think it's non-US. Oh, okay. All right. My dream slash joke pick would be Hackers. <laughs> Just because it's like, <laughs> like it would never, ever go there. But I'm like, that would actually be a pretty cool Criterion release if they did this. I would like to see that, too. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then the final, final question here. Uh I, I think this was a fun one to end on. It will require a little bit of work on our part, but bear with me. Uh, Isaiah Washington wants to know if there was a stunts category at the Oscars, which films do you think would have won each year from 2010 to 2019? So this isn't that hard because I can start us off right away by saying what would have won in 2010 would have easily have been Inception. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. So we got that one out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I would say, uh, I, I mean, personal picks, but also damn well should win is 2011, 2014, the raid and the raid two. <laughs> and I would hope that the Oscars are open enough to take an international film, but both of those films should damn well win stunts. Yeah, I, I anytime that people ever ask like hypotheticals oh, if this category existed, I always tend to look at. Uh, what else was nominated already that year? Because mm. the idea of predicting a film that got um, a hypothetical low nomination in the best stunts category and didn't receive a nomination anywhere else leads me to believe that they wouldn't have gone for something like the Raid movies then. True, true. Well, but depending on what like, else is in yeah. the category. Sure, sure. I, I completely agree with that. Like if I'm looking at 2011 and I'm looking at 
all the films nominated in 2011, for example, um, I'm probably either going with either... Mm. Yeah, see, the, the 2011 slate... 2011's tough, yeah. Yeah, see, I do think you have to look for something that really wasn't a part of that. And Okay, it's either Rise of the Planet of the Apes... Yeah. Or maybe Outside Chance Warrior. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I actually think that this would have been a place for Mission Impossible, uh, Ghost Protocol. I like I like that idea uh, for Mission Impossible. I really do. I mean, if the category existed, they would have been just automatically just showing the, you know. Oh, you know what? Over and over again. They might have done War Horse because of all the stunts with the, with the horses. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm trying to play it logical here. This is why I don't like this because it's like, I want a hypothetical that works, but I also want them, the whole point of the sense category is for them to branch out of the typical Oscar stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm not giving, I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> yeah. True, true. 2012, uh, Skyfall. It's gotta be Skyfall. Yeah. Uh, absolutely Skyfall. Yeah. I can't see how it would ever be anything else. Um, 2013, it's like, a part of me wants to say gravity, but I don't think that that is accurate because of the fact that so much of that is CGI. No, I, I don't think that would have done it. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what would have done it? I know. Oh, no, wait a minute. Was it this year? Yes. Uh, Lone Survivor. Yeah, that probably would have gotten it because it did have other nominations. So it was well liked enough. And man, I'm telling you, when I rewatched those guys falling down that damn hill, crashing yeah. those branches and stuff, I still don't know how those stuntmen survived that. Yeah. Uh, 2014. That could have been a repeat for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but I'm more inclined to say Captain America to Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that actually would have been a place where they would have been fine rewarding a Marvel movie, which they've been very hesitant to do so. But I think the stunts in that film, especially at the time, got a lot of notice for just how... Um, the fight choreography. Yeah, the fight choreography, yeah. just how much it was really well planned out. 2015, it's, it's I Mad mean, Max, it yeah. would have been it would have been really close between Mad Max and The Revenant, but I think it would have gone to Mad Max. Mad Max uh, is like the epitome of why they need a stunts category. Yep. Yeah, like, I'm almost surprised they didn't invent a special award for the stunt choreography Jeez. in Mad Max. Like, you say it would be close. I actually don't think it would have been that close, Matt, <laughs> if, if it was between those two movies. Yeah. 2016. <sighs> it's probably going to be Hacksaw. I was going to say, it's probably Hacksaw. <laughs> yeah, it's Hacksaw. You guys didn't like this movie? <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's I fine. I do not hate the movie like a lot of other people yeah. do, but it's not great. Yeah, I'm yeah. not, like, I liked it when I first saw it in theaters. Yeah. And then I saw it again later, and I, it went down for me after that. Um, And then it just continued to keep going down on, because I've seen it, like, three times now, and each time it gets worse and worse for me. <laughs> Why do you keep watching it, then? <laughs> because I want to believe that it, I'm, like, I'm not crazy, and that, like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. In any event. Uh, all right. And then for 2017... I feel like there's an urge to want to say Dunkirk, but I don't think it's that easy. Yeah, it wouldn't have been my top choice. So I'm wondering instead if it could have been either, once again, War for the Planet. No, maybe not War for the Planet of the Apes, because that actually doesn't have as much action. Yeah, and, and to be honest, the only reason why I would probably still say it would be Dunkirk is because more than likely it would have been the only nominee from a Best Picture lineup. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, because Blade Runner 2049 also wasn't, like, super high on stunt. You know what? 
this could have been Wonder Woman. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Wonder Woman did win at SAG. It won the SAG stunt ensemble there. Mm -hmm. But I still think that when it count when it comes to the Oscars, they are going to look at which is the most prestigious. And I think they would have seen, oh, Dunkirk, that's the war movie. That's up for best picture. Yeah, stunts. Yeah. Give it that. 2018. I mean, I mean Black Panther, right? I was gonna say this would have been an easy yeah, Black, additional I mean, win for Black Panther, but yeah, no, no, no buts. Yeah, Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's best picture nominee, action movie. Yeah, it's it it would have been Black Panther. All right, and then we come to twenty nineteen. So Endgame? Maybe. I think also they could have done Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I mean, it would be kind of hilarious if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got nominated and it was like the reason for the category being created and then it doesn't win. <laughs> yeah, but like, again, I always feel like when you're talking about the Oscars, they go for like the classy pick most of the time. And usually that means whatever is either up for best picture or has like best picture aura to it. And I feel like they probably would have done Ford v. Ferrari. You know, they could have also done 1917. And it could have been one of those things where they had had misunderstanding as to how stunts were, you know, used in that film. (laughs) Misunderstanding the craft would not be the first time that would happen at the Oscars. I I know, exactly. (laughs) That was fun. That was a good exercise. Alex, thank you so much for joining us for this episode here today. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find your work on the internet. Um, as always at firstshowing.net and on Twitter at firstshowing and on Letterboxd at firstshowing and anywhere firstshowing is found. I, I will freely admit to you, um, I rely on you for your uh, schedules that you post. Oh, great. Yep. <laughs> I, lo- I love updating them. I am always checking all the time to see, all right, what's coming out this week? What's coming out this week? Because to me, it's more thorough than what I could find on Wikipedia. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to, to be honest with you, I started this, you know, years and years ago, literally for the reason that no one did the list the way I wanted to see it. Yep. <laughs> and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, when you do something for yourself, because you need it this way and people enjoy it as well, and then it gets picked up and like it becomes popular. That's kind of the story. And now I'm just like, I keep doing it because I need it too. I am working on something that fits that exact description right now. And it's been literally uh, over a year in the making that I am trying to put something together for that exact purpose. So I know the struggle. I understand it. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll give you a tease too. I'm also working on a certain update to the schedules. Ooh. Some, some people gave me some tips and I was like, actually, this is a good thing to work on. Like, I want to keep the, the, the purity of what it is, but I also want to kind of allow a couple more options to it, which is what I'm working on. Exciting. Really, really cool stuff. Thank you once again. Thank you. Josh Parham, where can they find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 246 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to the podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, feel free to do so. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us, including some of our 2013 retrospective reviews that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, and we'll continue to do so throughout the summer. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.